support for this podcast comes from Staffing Future. Nowadays, your recruitment website needs to do more than just validate your business. Websites are your digital front door, where new clients and great talent should come knocking. So do you want your recruitment website to stand out from the crowd, generate new business leads and placement revenue? If that's a yes, then talk to Staffing Future, the recruitment website and technology experts. Get a free website and technology stack review and competitor analysis today. Just visit staffingfuture.com slash rules. What great ideas are so close within your grasp? Seeing other points of view, anticipating change, considering multiple possible turnouts, acknowledging uncertainty, searching for compromise. We're going to talk about how to get over those limiters of innovation so that you can extract better thinking from yourself and your team. So let's talk about how to win the future. Welcome to the Marketing Rules Podcast from Thinking Circles. With me, your host, James Whitelock. We know the value of great content, but how can you leverage this content on a customer journey? Joining me this week is Jeff Coyle from Market Muse. Jeff talks us through how to target content at your audiences and create content that drives leads. Welcome back to the Marketing Rules Podcast. And today I am joined by Jeff Cork from Marketing News. Jeff, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, oh, thank you so much. How is it over there on the other side of the pond? It's a little interesting time to be <laughs> in in the United States right now. I also, uh, many might know, might not know, uh, uh, recently made the move from Georgia to Florida. Um, so Florida is also a quite interesting place to be these days but i'm in i'm in north florida in jacksonville although market muse is based in uh boston uh, we have offices in new york and montreal where our data science team is so typically in the normal world i'm flying around to our offices and to conferences um however uh i've only been on a plane i think three times in the last 18 months uh and it's only been recently for a couple uh shows uh so it's been a it's been a, a weird time for somebody who's used to being on planes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've probably been flying a little bit, kind of even more than the rest of us, to be honest, because even three sounds a lot, really, in the, for the last uh, kind of eighteen months. Yeah, I was at a we did a um, there was an event with a, a mastermind community that I'm a part of called Rhodium, um, and that was an international travel, which was a, a little bit of a uh, an interesting one at, to Mexico, and then uh, last week was a PubCom, which is a uh, an event that's been going on for 16 years and that was just down to Miami but really other than that it's been it's been pretty sparse um mm-hmm. and uh but it's it, you know it's it's getting there yeah. well hopefully we'll see I, yeah, yeah. you can't I can't predict the future <laughs> I try all the time but I can't, oh, no, can't go on, go on give us that. we'll maybe get on we'll get onto that later we'll get onto future thinking in a bit um I can do that with us I can do that with SEO and content I'll tell you yeah. anything you want to know about the future of that <laughs> Well, that, that's good. We will co- we'll come on to that to end. That, that we'll put a note in there. That's the last question we'll, we'll ask about. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Jeff, maybe it is worth kind of giving our listeners a little bit of kind of background about who you are and a little bit about uh, uh, Market Muse as well. Yeah, sure. So um, like I said, like uh, you said, I'm Jeff Coyle. I'm the co-founder and chief strategy officer for Market Muse. Um, and what Market Muse is an artificial intelligence content strategy software platform that really sets the standard for content quality. Um, So what that means is we're interested in letting you know who you are. What does your content tell the world? Where do you have strengths and weaknesses? Where do you have authority or where do you have gaps? So really 
driving uh, you know, data-driven decisions about what you should create or what you should update to really kind of raise the bar and raise all boats. Um, we've built this platform that goes all the way from you know research and planning and prioritization all the way into assistance for um, actual creation. So we build, we have an automated content brief generation platform where you can build out a framework or an outline or guardrails that you can hand to your writer and create a single source of truth. So if you're outsourcing, this is great because you get on the same page immediately and there's a lot less feedback loops. But what it also does is it makes your teams really confident in what they publish, that it's gonna have a meaningful impact on the business. It's not just publishing and hope. Content inefficiency is the biggest pain in our space. People publish 10 articles to get one that work, mm -hmm. right? And what does that mean? It means the true cost of content is like 10X of what it really is but you know my background i've been in this space for as scary as it sounds 22 years um in the content strategy search engine optimization um, i worked with a company called knowledge storm and we were one of the first people selling leads in the b2b space um, before like major companies with three letters even had content on the web we were convincing them to like scan their stuff put it on the web so it could generate leads right um, and uh, we were acquired in 2007 by a major publisher where I also worked in as an in-house for search, conversion rate optimization, paid content strategy. Um, and the reason I would tell it that way is like, I really got a chance to work with like high skilled editorial teams mm -hmm. at that publisher um, and realized how inefficient and manual or subjective most of those workflows are. Right. Um, and so I spent a great deal kind of learning about those processes and trying to figure out which of these can be sped up, which of these can be automated. And what I realized was the most powerful person in the room uh, for most businesses is the subject matter expert or is the editorial lead because they have the skills and the information that no one else has. And so making it so that they can use and, and amplify their expertise is the key. And so I've built, you know, uh, you know, with our team, we built software that makes it so that the editorial leader, the content strategist, the subject matter expert is like a superhuman. <laughs> like, and so they, they extracting that, you know, that wonderful expertise from their brain and getting it in on the site becomes this, you know, kind of radioactive superpower. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where kind of market media lays. It's we make sure that everything you publish is the best yeah. um, that it can be. Um, so that you have the best chance you have of being successful. Um, and that brings me on to my first question around uh, the perfect piece of content. You know, is there mm -hmm. such a thing as a perfect piece of content? Uh, is that is it subjective, or generally is there kind of are there rules around the kind of this, uh, this perfect piece of content? It's such a great question, um, and I'll answer it like four different ways, and it'll all smush together into something that's meaningful. Um, so what we do. We try to classify what it means to be an expert on content. So I can say absolutely that what it, if, if you want to model what it means to be an expert on a topic, mm -hmm. that is something that is objective. And we can say basically things like if you were going to cover this topic comprehensively, if you're going to talk about content marketing strategy, right, and you don't talk about buyer personas or you don't talk about target audiences, you're not exhibiting the signals that you really know what you're talking about. So from that perspective, what we've brought to the market is the fact that you can turn that subjective 
perspective of comprehensiveness and expertise, you can make that objective. What you can't do is, you know, quantify without kind of data. You can't quantify whether this page is enthralling, whether it has a great narrative. You can look at grammar. You can look at tone and voice. Um, but you can't say whether this has a great narrative, whether it tells a great story, whether it's appropriately positioned for one's audience. So when I think about the perfect piece of content, it's also a second secondary factor of is it right for your site? Right. Do you have any other content that finishes the puzzle, finishes the journey, whether it's a learning journey or a buying journey? So I may have the perfect piece of content that's early stage awareness for beginners. Mm -hmm right? From a standpoint of comprehensiveness, but does it mesh well with that audience? Does it actually speak their language? Does it talk to them or is it, you know, not enthralling? And then also on my site, I may not have anything else. I may not have articles for experts. I may not have middle of the funnel or bottom of the funnel or troubleshooting mm -hmm. or post-purchase content. So now I'm putting an article out on a site that doesn't lead to a wonderful journey for the reader. So what do they do? They go to my site, they bounce off. Well, now I put a, I put a wonderful page on something that might not create a great experience. And that's where, you know, the, uh, the intelligence of folks like search engines and also like people who are doing really great analytics are becoming the standard because you don't, if you don't have that authority on that topic, you can't just post. If you go build, you know, James, surfing blog right and you go write the best ultimate guide to surfboards right good luck on day one you haven't just haven't earned it yet baby right you know you, you don't have it uh, you can't just get the article live and make it work it's like but if you throw that on surfermagazine.com or you throw a, a, a the most wonderful article in the world about the new iphone you throw that on cnet it's got a chance. So it's about knowing who you are, it's about knowing where you have authority and setting reasonable expectations with that perfect piece of content. I can put it there, but will it be a meaningful impact on our business? Now, let's say I have 30 pieces of perfect content and I'm throwing it on uh, and it's what weaving together the journey for my article. Then I call then Maybe those pieces parts are going to put something together that's meaningful. Yeah. Um, yeah, that all makes um, complete sense. And uh, when we're talking about content in this context, um, yeah. do we are we are you are we just referring to written content and copy? Um, mm -hmm. And is there a place where where does other formats kind of sit in 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 that journey? Yeah, certainly. So this is where you know the two pieces of this are that you want to know how your readers like to learn or how they like to engage. Mm. Um, when we're analyzing text content, we're analyzing, like I said, text content. We're using natural language processing technologies. We are um, using other things like what we call topic modeling, which is a branch of artificial intelligence that says, you know, what does it mean to be about something? Mm. Can you analyze a page or a group of pages and tell you what they're about, whether they're written like it's written by an expert? But that doesn't mean that that content needs to only manifest as text. Um, so what it does mean is if you want that content to be um, 
readable, it needs some textual representation. So if it's audio, how are you optimizing your transcripts? If it's infographics, how are you optimizing the content around that infographic so that it's readable or using alternate means of communicating? Same with text. Um, but a great content item that is a beautiful textual format, like let's say your core item is a downloadable PDF because it captures leads. Well, that PDF is one thing. You should be thinking about it's not just one-to-one -one for landing pages. There's a lot of different types of people that might want to read that, right? You can turn those into many-to-one for landing pages. You might turn that into a video. You might turn that into uh, an audio podcast like this one that has transcripts. You might tune that transcript. Um, all of those things and, and a great repurposing strategy is a core fundamental to any content marketing strategy because you just don't know well, how somebody wants to learn. I think, you know, learning styles, there's, you know, so many different learning styles, short content, long content, different types of viewers. You don't know who your audience is um, until you effectively repurpose and repurposing when done effectively um, can really maximize a budget as well. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to know how Thinking Circles can help your recruitment marketing, then visit www.thinkincircles.com. Yeah. Um, so a couple of times you've mentioned the customer journey. So mm -hmm. can you kind of take us through how content helps the customer journey and maybe kind of give us a few kind of examples of, of and again, you've mentioned the funnel yeah. as well, you know, how that might kind of, mm -hmm. or if you subscribe to the flywheel or however, whatever kind of methodology <laughs> you subscribe to, how that would kind of, how that works along that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so there's, most folks will want somebody to take the entire journey on their site. Um, and so like a demand gen person or, or whose who's KPI is the leads will want somebody to get to the site, digest stuff, and then convert. But the reality is that it's not a linear journey ever. People have other sites, they'll do additional research. And if you don't think they are, you're sorely mistaken, right? If you are in B2B tech, for example, and you don't think people are reading your reviews on, uh, you know, Trust Radius or G2 or Captera um, or software advice, like you got, you know, you, your, your head is in the sand. Um, so what you want to do is control as much of the journey as you can, no matter where the person enters your site. And one effective thing is to, to know it, know the journey, know the audience, um, make sure you're tuning it based on data that you know about who it is. And, you know, I always like the good example is, you know, if you look at your leads for a month, for a month and, you know, you're you have generalized content, right? It's just general. It's, you know, the guide to CRM, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then you've got the, you know, CRM comparing different features of CRM. And then you've got what should you consider when buying CRM software? Um, well, if you look at your leads and like 90% of them are like from brewery owners. Well, if you're selling to that audience, well, you need content that speaks to them to offshoot into that so that if they land on the general page, they know you've got industry specific. Right. So you, the way that I like to think about the customer journey is knowing the persona, knowing the next steps and then answering the next five questions with your content. 
So it's a showcase. A great example of this, of a big flaw in the world of all of online is e-commerce category pages. When someone lands on an e-commerce category page, they may be looking to understand the buyer journey, but all they're getting is product. If you don't show the client, the prospect, that you understand their buying journey on an e-commerce category page, you're not showcasing all where all that content is and that they can use you as a trusted advisor to take that journey. Also, they can buy. Um, and if you don't do that, they're going to go do that research on a reviews site or an aggregator or a publisher, right? Same thing goes with B2B. If you just land on this page and it's a read and done, you don't know that they have coverage of industry specific. They have coverage of the middle of the funnel. So you've got to walk somebody through that by showing them that you've got it covered when they do land because you don't know where they are. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they are on the journey. You don't necessarily know how they got there, right? So you've got to be thinking critically as kind of multi-dimensional chess challenge, right? Mm -hmm. But the best way to do it is to showcase your wares. And one big challenge that I'm sure your audience, everybody's going to grimace a little is you got to go back into your old content and update it to, to interweave the new stuff and make sure you've got everything covered. Connect the clusters, we like to say. Make sure that everything's properly internally linked make sure if you don't support something if you don't have the content find a resource that does so that you continue to build trust um and the user goes out they might then come back and go oh wow yeah james pointed me to this great comparison page even though his site didn't have it i still trust him it wasn't just a dead end mm -hmm. you know um uh, picking up on a, a few other kind of bits you mentioned, you mentioned yeah, kind sure. of audiences and and targeting, mm -hmm. and so uh, let's kind of uh, kind of dig a bit deeper into that and how you kind of go about targeting those audiences with your content in the first place. You know, how do you kind of get it in front of them? How do you know that they want to read that in the in the first place? What uh, what are the kind of decisions you need to make? And I don't know if you again if you've got any ex examples that kind of, of of businesses that you work with that can kind of support that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's if you have nothing, right? How do you start is one way that and we had to build, um, you know, we really had to build so that that was a reality, right? We had to build so that if you came in, and you didn't have a site, you would have reasonable expectations for what you need to do. And so the two places you can go are out of your own brain for who you want to be, right? Or you can go to the market and the market consists of topics and people and competitors right mm -hmm. so you've got concepts and you've got competitors um maybe not on the nose competitors but they might be um you know uh aggregators they might be if you're you know the home depot which is a major you know home goods uh, home improvement brand there might be people writing about how to fix the garage mm -hmm. also so you want to be realistic about who those competitors are. It's not just the people you're selling against. Um, and if you have no sites, if you have no content, you want to start to create what we call competitive cohort research. You want to create a model that says, here's how much content they publish. Here's on what topics. Here's their, what we call in SEO, off-page factors. Here's how big they are, how well they cover it. Their off-page factors would be their inbound links profile. 
um, how many domains those inbound links come from. You want to build that kind of dossier for the collective of your competitors. And it's not just for fun. What you're saying is, okay, well, if I go invest N dollars to get to build infrastructure for my site around these topics, I have a reasonable chance of having some growth. And that's part of it. If you have nothing, if you have existing content, you need to know where you have strengths and weaknesses. You need to know where you have topical authority because authoritativeness by the search engines is calculated on the topic paid topic site section level. It's a tremendously computationally expensive thing. Luckily, the big guys do it, right? Uh, but basically it says that if Jeff writes about content strategy, right? If on Market Muse, uh, on the blog, it is an authoritative thing, right? So anything related, semantically related to that, imagine a big hub and spoke or mind neural network, right? Anything in that sphere. But if I go write an article about, you know, uh, the Sonos Play 5 version 7, I have no existing authority on audio files or on speakers. So I've got to, unless I have huge outsized power, like I'm Amazon or I'm, you know, a dot dash network offer, like the Spruce or, you know, Wirecutter, right? I don't really have a chance at just writing about something that I haven't already addressed. So the way that I assess is where do I have power in order to set expectations? We have a metric in our platform called personalized difficulty. We're the only platform that has it. And it tells you your competitive advantage from the standpoint of content quality. Because I could have written about it all with garbage content too, right? It just doesn't perform. It's not just about breadth. It's breadth. It's depth. When I do write about it, do I gain momentum? Does it raise all boats? Um, does it gather influence from the market? Um, so my research is always, I want to know what it means to be an expert. I want to know what it means to really have covered this topic comprehensively from the standpoint of um, uh, the whole funnel, the people I'm targeting. Um, I then want to know who I am today um, and then competitors. And then the last piece of that puzzle is consider other promotional channels because a page non-promoted is the waiting game and the waiting game stinks. <laughs> um, and so you want to think about, is this something that's likely to have any sort of virality or paint online. And when I say that, I mean, is there a means of us of getting some momentum, not from the search engines? Uh, if I, cause waiting for that stuff can kind of be painful. Um, and so how do I do that? Do I have any natural direct traffic? Do I have any subscription traffic? Um, what's my referral traffic lines? Sometimes writing a great piece that connects to your top referral sources and will naturally be a fit for them can be your best strategy. Um, so thinking about all of those dynamics is the uh, kind of the paint by numbers for content, if I could say it that way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> makes, makes complete sense. And um, right. you've, you've, you've picked up on and kind of SEO a couple of times. Um, and I know, it's, mm -hmm. it, as you just mentioned, it's, it's not the whole picture, but it's part of the puzzle, right? Um, right. Uh, how relevant really is kind of SEO and the, the search engines, you know, with the, the rise of kind of, uh, content being shared on social media and the power of those kind mm -hmm. of channels. Um, how much kind of credence should we give still to the to the search engines with regards to kind of organic search? 
do we just do it lip service and write content and create content just for the SEO for the for the <laughs> search engines and not for anything and just that possibly won't ever be read, but it's good it, it's good for the search engines. What should we kind of do around that? Well, it's you know, you're talking to a person who was preaching from the top of the, the rafters for now about 15 years about content quality. Um, and that someday the world will come to see that doing building wonderful content that tells a story that one is an expert is going to also be the thing that these mature businesses, which I call, you know, Google is a mature business now um, at a level we couldn't have imagined. They're going to want that more than they're going to want SEO content. The scourge of this space is the concept of SEO content. It's not a good thing. It doesn't do its job. It doesn't raise the authority of the site. It puts you into a susceptible position to get beat up by competitors. Um, Michael King from iPoolRank um, recently put out a wonderful video. And I'll, I'll send you the link uh, that talks about like the SEO content should never have existed. And, and you know, I've been saying this for a really long time. And because it, it's really about when that person is, gets to there, was it a great experience? And then also did it provide support for organic search? And the big, the other big, you know, gaffe that I see in the space by SEOs is that they believe that one should do a content audit and um, look at content that doesn't have any traffic um, as being not successful. When pages that don't have traffic that support the journey or support the cluster can be valuable for the parent or for another support piece. So deleting uh, or, or uh, you know, not having content that's actually high quality that won't have any direct entrances or will have a small number of direct entrances is like pulling a tooth out of your jaw. It's really nice when you've got all your teeth in there. And so, you know, you're pulling it out of there and you're less effective at, at, at using it. Um, and then the other piece is people that long tail, right? They just write to see if they can get some rankings for really specific queries. Mm -hmm. It's like having a bunch of teeth without a jaw. Right. So, you know, you've got to basically put together the package that tells the story that you've got that expertise and authoritative. That's how you're going to have longevity. And, you know, I'll be a little bit uh, ranty here, uh, more so than even normal. <laughs> a lot of advice on SEO comes from people whose background is in the affiliate space. You know, when affiliate, you know, what affiliate does when their site gets hit by Google in a negative way or starts to drop. They go make another site. If you're working for a brand that you care about, you can't do that, right? You can't live through that decline. Trust me, I've been through it with clients, been through it in-house. It's pain, right? Or you go through a failed migration or something like that, right? But doing things that are for short-term wins, you know, every roller coaster has an up and a down. You want to build longevity, and longevity is gained through powerful, thoughtful content. Um, and it's real nice to be sitting in this seat right now when expertise, authoritativeness, and trust are Google's favorite words to say. They call it eat, right? Um, and YMYL, your money or your life. If you don't have expertise, authoritativeness, and trust, and you're focused on things like medis medical, uh, financial, insurance, um, and you or le legal, and you really think you can get there, mm -hmm. you got 
you know, you're, if your day of reckoning hasn't already come, it's coming. Um, and that's where, you know, the people on the top of the mountain are the people that have been focused on content quality for years. Um, and they're the ones who are just beating down the markets. Um, again, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I said we would come to this. So let's talk about the kind of the future of content. Uh, um, and uh, you've kind of kind of thrown in a couple of kind of hot topics around kind of AI and machine learning. And uh, right. I know you kind of use things like around kind of semantic relevance. But where, what does that kind of what do those things play in the in the future of content? You know, we we often read about AI written articles and things mm. like that. You know, is that the future? You know, wh- where where are we going? So, the th- the three things I'll mention is one is where I think a team can be most effective with artificial intelligence right now, um, and then talking about how generation will play into that, um, and then what the search engines specifically and social networks are going to have to do about it. Um, the first thing is the positive, right? The positive is your team is inefficient. Sorry. Your writing team has tremendous. Your editorial team has gross inefficiencies. The average we see, we call it content efficiencies. How much, how many items do you publish or update and how frequently do those pages then achieve their goals? Right. It's about 10%, sadly. Is that scary? That means mm-hmm. if you if you also ask the same person how much does content cost? And they're like, I don't know, 200 bucks. You're like, well, it's actually way more than that, by the way, because you you spend more time on it, production work, you know, how much, how many times did you read that? Right. Um, but let's just say it's 200 bucks. Well, if you're 10% efficient, that means you're two thousand dollars per effective page. Then everybody cringes. Mm. And then think about opportunity costs. Right. So you, if you had published great stuff, maybe you're publishing 40%, your whole life changes. Right. And that's what we do with our clients. But I, I say that because the inefficiencies are what AI can do today really, really well. It can make it so that your writer who's good at writing or your subject matter expert who knows your product or your offering can focus on making beautiful narratives and expertise not doing keyword research. They shouldn't have to do that. Not doing prioritization out of their brain or in meetings or brainstorming, right? They should know and have confidence levels with their predictions. And that's what I focus on. They shouldn't be manually building a brief that's subpar, which a lot of people do. It's like they write a paragraph and they send it to their writer. And then they surprise when the writer writes something that either doesn't perform or it doesn't actually, they couldn't get into your head, my friend. They couldn't dig into that brain. You've got to get that shared source of truth. And the best way to do that is with a content brief. So your writer's like, oh, I know the minimum that I have to do to write this thing so that this person who requested this page is happy. They don't want a feedback loop. They don't want stuff getting kicked back. And neither does the person projecting it. So we've gone through research, planning, and prioritization. Briefing, all those things can be advanced with AI right now to increase efficiencies and speed. And you know what also? Make everyone way happier, (laughs) right? And then you get into um, the actual editing process. So I like to talk about this as a maturity curve, right? Because everybody's been through two of these maturity curves. One is spell check, 
right? Mm -hmm. um, the first time you ever saw a spell check, you were like, wow, this is crazy. This will never be right. Now it's just part of your body. Then you went through the Grammarly, whether you use Grammarly or Hemingway or just Smart Compose, right? Google Smart Compose is a branch of natural language generation, by the way. It will complete your sentences and things. It gets better over time. So, so did Grammarly. The first time I used Grammarly, I was like, this is terrible. This is, I'll never use this. Now I couldn't live without it. I mean, I'm, I'm from Jersey. I went through Georgia. Now I'm in Florida. I'm, you know, it, who knows? Some, some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth doesn't even make sense. Um, and, um, and so Grammarly is part of our body. Now the next phase is now becoming mature. It's inline insights about how to make your page more uh, a signal of expertise, right? Oh, hey, James, you're writing this article about how do you get bees out of your garage? Make sure you talk about theramin. I've just made that up. It's not really a bug spread, but look, let's say that was the chemical that they wanted you to use, right? Um, or else you're really not going to show that you show them you know them. Um, so, and then post-purchase um, updating when to update, why to update based on the intent of the search engine results, based on something that's out of date, based on something that was subpar, right? By the way, everything I've said can be automated with AI right now mm -hmm. um, and turn your team in, into you know superhumans. They don't need to be SEO experts to get that feedback. And that's where AI is most effective. The people who are harnessing generation. So what is natural language generation? Um, if you hear someone say NLG, mm -hmm. you might also hear them say GPT-3 or OpenAI. Um, I am MarketMuse. We've built our own platform that competes with OpenAI um, and with Microsoft is their main reseller. So you're saying to yourself, oh, okay, Jeff, you think you're going to compete with Elon Musk and Microsoft? Good luck, bro. Um, but, you know, we are and we have a tuned model system where we can actually build a topic specific model that writes on your tone and things like that. The teams that are crushing it with that are the ones that are using that as another building block. So they're saying, Ooh, I'm going to look, it's helping me understand possible narratives. It's helping me understand some ways to approach this. And then because I've got all this other data points, this brief as the source of truth, I now am writing faster to then cover everything comprehensively. And my output is something I'm proud of. The dark side of this is taking that generated stuff and tweaking it a little or spinning it and then posting it. That's gonna run out of gas real soon. By the way, it's already, I'm watching people destroy their websites with these other platforms right now. Um, but ge using generation wisely is gonna be the teams that really crush it. And when we start hearing about people ruining their websites with bad generations, it's going to create a big uh, cluster mm -hmm. on, on this space, right? Um, and uh, that day is coming uh, real, real soon as the models get better. Google has a model that's, you know, I think 5x better than OpenAI's current one. OpenAI's next model, which will probably be called GPT-4, is going to be beautiful. Um, it's going to be even more deadly. Um, we, our model, our next version of our model that gets into the editor experience is, I've already seen it. It blows the doors off of anything in the market right now. Um, what, what people want 
what I instruct folks to do is it's not just about fact checking. It's really about using that wisely, because if you can get 20 beautiful articles out the door instead of four, which you would have, no matter how you do it, if you're happy with that 20, that's a beautiful experience. But if you were doing four and now you're doing 20 and the 16 you added are subpar or mediocre, you're actually doing damage you don't know yet about. It's like eating pizza every day, right? You know, it feels really good while it's, well, maybe on day 20, it's going to be pretty painful, but it's going to have some downstream damage to your body. And what we're seeing is people who don't know any better or they're being instructed by affiliate hawks or uh, touts, as I like to call them. Um, they're the ones who are going to paint themselves into a corner, destroy their assets, valuations. Um, and they're doing so because some of these software products are um, communicating in irresponsible ways. Um, Jeff, yeah. absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on a podcast today. We will include all of your details in the show notes. If anybody wants to know about you or more about Market Muse, uh, they can kind of mm -hmm. uh, uh, read up on the show notes. But for now, Jeff, awesome. thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and I, I you know, I look forward to uh, uh, connecting with you in the future. Cheers. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Marketing Rules podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. I've been your host, James Whitelock, and I hope you can join me and more amazing guests next time. Marketing Rules Podcast is a Thinking Circles production.